0: And he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Quincy to coil And the Leafs are mulched again! What's happening? Welcome to the Nesson Bruins Podcast. I am Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined as always by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell. Lauren, what's happening?
1: What's up? Let's get to this week of no hockey games.
0: Lots to get to this week of no hockey games. Uh, also no Mike Cole today. He apparently has better things to do. So it's just me and Lauren this week. Uh, maybe Mike is enjoying the bye week uh, because that's effectively what this is. The Bruins last played a back-to-back Saturday with a win over the New Jersey Devils and then a win over the Montreal Canadiens, and now they won't play again until Saturday against the Philadelphia Flyers. I believe that also sparks a... Another Back to back. I currently have ads on my computer that's it preventing does. me from, from double checking. It does. Yes. A on the road against the Flyers and then back home against the Calgary Flames. Uh, so again, just weird scheduling for reasons that we aren't entirely certain on. Um, but since the last time we spoke to you all spoke at you all, I guess uh, the Bruins did have those two wins on the back to back both five two wins. Uh, and then otherwise went over the Ottawa Senators on Tuesday and a loss to the Edmonton Oilers 5-3 on Thursday. Bruce Cassidy was, frankly, visibly pissed about the way that one went down. We can dive into that a little bit later. But I would say, Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably the bigger story since we last spoke, uh, at least in this forum, was the fact that Bruins are now just healthy scratching Mike Riley. Uh, obviously was a a Jolt of energy for the Bruins last season when he showed up at the trade deadline was a major priority to bring him back this offseason. It's been fine, not great this season. Obviously, if you're playing great, you're not getting healthy scratched, but I think it was a little surprising to see him basically get sheltered a little bit and then scratched. At first, people thought, well, maybe it's an injury, and then Bruce Cassidy left very little room for doubt that he was like, no, he's not playing well enough. He's basically sandbagging his partner to do all the dirty work and then the puck moving stuff that he historically is good at uh he has not been super good at so my question to you would be how big of a deal is this that we are a month into the season it's already healthy scratch mike riley territory
1: i mean it's it's not good by any means i feel like you know i guess better now early in the season than later in the season when they're trying to maybe push for a playoff spot i was not concerned more like shocked that it wasn't Connor Clifton just because Agreed. I feel like he's been playing worse than Mike Riley and I don't know if that's a size thing I don't know if it's Bruce Cassidy just being trying to send a message one player at a time before you I mean you can't healthy scratch your entire blue line yeah but um you know Zabor has been great where he's been slotted in he's making it difficult for Cassidy to put Riley back in there but maybe it'll be Connor Clifton's turn to sit for a few games put Riley back in maybe he received the message but I like what I've seen from Zaboro. I think it's and it, you know I think it's good to send a message early, but it probably doesn't feel much better for Riley knowing that Zaboro's playing really well right now in his spot.
0: Yeah, and two games getting healthy scratch, too. Now, I'm with you on the Clifton part. I think last year what made him so useful Clifton that is is he had quieted his game down like at first the Connor Clifton experience when he was a rookie and it's like wow this guy's small but he moves well and he likes to hit guys and he's a little wild like that was amusing and then it got to the point where you're like well he's kind of Killing his partner by being the way he is. And then they found a way last season to help him sort of find the balance where he wasn't completely eliminating all the things that make him a worthwhile NHL player, but he's also not using them to the extent that he becomes a liability. If you ask me, he's reached the point again where he's sort of becoming a liability um it, we saw that I believe it was the Yoel Armea goal um on Sunday where I could be wrong if it was the Armea or the Pazetta goal that Clifton pinched for basically no reason at all and then the Canadians start going the other way and the Bruins are hung out to dry Swayman was hung out to dry so it's that type of stuff that you didn't really see a whole lot of last year which is why Clifton became so productive I'm with you that Zaborl should stay in the lineup. You kind of got to get Mike Riley back in there um, and just sit Clifton for a game or two. I mean, in an ideal world, Clifton's probably your seventh defenseman anyways. But at this point, you might as well see what you have in Zaborl. He was steady enough last year, and he has looked good so far.
1: Yeah, and Bruce Cassidy is singing his praises. He's really impressed Bruce Cassidy. And like I said, it's going to be difficult when Bruce Cassidy has to make this decision and trying to figure out where – all these defensemen go um you know Mike Riley does need to get back into the lineup at some point he was a priority to be brought back um I don't know if he's just kind of in his own head I mean last year he would shoot the puck the second he got it the second he saw even an inch of shooting lane he was going for it and I feel like he's not doing that a lot this season or hasn't done a lot that a lot this season he needs to get back to that and I think that if he does it's going to be harder for Bruce Cassie to keep him out of the lineup over Connor Clifton
0: Well, here's the impasse that I would suspect the Bruins are at. So, last season was a career year for him. Um, You know, he had taken a little while to develop in Minnesota, and then by the time he really had come around in the 17-18 season, they traded him to Montreal. And historically, he has not been quite as good as he was last season. I mean, 27 assists, 19 of which came with Ottawa. You know, he's – typically been the anywhere from 15 to 18 assists per season kind of guy not a huge goal scorer which is fine but the version that we saw of him last season you were catching him at his best are you okay with Mike Riley if you get the version that he pretty much was with the Canadians and at times with the Senators prior to uh, his breakout season last year I think you live with that because he's still a Puck mover, like he's good at starting the breakout and everything, but he's probably in such a case not the second pairing guy that you put with Brandon Carlos, set it and forget it type of guy anymore. It's like, well, now you have just another third pairing defenseman. And if you don't think Zaboro's any better than a third pairing defenseman, then you've got Riley, Clifton, Zaborle, uh I-, I guess John Moore, if you include him, uh, all third pairing guys. You could argue Forbert's probably a third pairing guy so then it's like well who are you playing above where they probably should be so my question to you would be then where do all these pieces now fit because it feels like you're about to have a lot of guys playing in roles that they probably shouldn't be in
1: yeah it's quite the logjam there and part of me thinks that sometimes Derek forward is the odd man out just because i feel like he's really struggled this season uh cassidy loves putting in with mcavoy doesn't really seem like the perfect fit there And he's just, there's times he's looked lost on the ice. We've talked about when Cassidy called Forbert out already, saying he's playing with one hand on the stick. And maybe it's him who needs to sit down for a few games. I don't know. But you have a lot of, you know, third-pairing defensemen that are NHL players that are just kind of waiting around, whether they're sitting on the ninth floor or playing in Providence. It's going to be, you know, it's I don't know if it's a trade deadline thing where they're just kind of waiting on to maybe shed some of these guys or if it's going to be like this all season. Um, I mean, you have to see what you have in Forbert. You can't just give up on the guy, but you also can't give up on the guy that you signed to a multi-year deal in the offseason because you needed to bring him back.
0: The problem, too, is that if anyone gets hurt, they are hosed. Yes. And that might be kind of strong and reactionary, but – I mean, what happened? They cannot lose McAvoy. They, no. they absolutely no. cannot <laughs> lose McAvoy. Uh, but basically your depth now is if you have one guy get hurt, then you're calling up John Moore probably, and he's your seventh defenseman. Last year they used, what, 11 defensemen? Like they yeah. uh, injuries ran roughshod through the Bruins. So if you start losing two or three guys, then it's more then it's Vacanina, then it's – a Sean, then it's maybe Brady Lyle. Like, you are really <laughs> testing your depth, and it seems like this is a lesson the Bruins struggle to learn every year is that it does not hurt to have a ton of NHL-caliber defensemen, which leads me to you need to see what some of these guys who you still have question marks about are capable of, which is why I am – advocating for them putting Jakob Borel on the top pairing with Charlie McAvoy. Last year, I thought that they should have done McAvoy with Vakanainen a little bit, which they did. It didn't go so well. I think at this point, you're thinking Zaborl probably what you were hoping Vakanainen would be. Um, but you might as well see what you have with Borel on the top pairing, because if you can get more out of him that way, and he can prove to be a useful top-pairing defenseman like Lozon was. I mean, Lozon had his flaws, but he didn't completely sandbag Charlie McAvoy so if you can put lowe's on your top pairing then I think you're starting to open things up a little bit for the Mike Rileys Derek Forberts that guy to play, those types of guys to play in roles that they're better suited for
1: I love that you are always like willing to experiment with that that top line like you're <laughs> yeah. just like put whoever with Charlie McAvoy it doesn't matter yeah um, that's
0: probably not the best practice <laughs> and wa- among the many reasons I'm not an NHL head
1: coach <laughs> but I like the idea of Zaboral up there I think that I think he's more than a third pairing um I mean he was a first round pick right if my memory serves me correctly like yeah. I feel like He's done a lot in the few games he's been here and I feel like he really hasn't gotten a as you would say a fair shake. I <laughs> would say that, yeah. In the in the Bruins organization just yet and you know that's you know being a victim of circumstance and just being you know behind the Chara, Tori Krug and a logjam of defenders but like you said at some point they need to figure this out because they were so committed to this youth movement and now they're bringing in all these other guys and it's like you're just not you're not committing to the youth movement the say you the way you say you are and at this point it just, it's it's obvious McAvoy and Forbert are just not a top-pairing team. Why not just put Zaboral up there? And we know Cassidy, he certainly will switch up those lines if he doesn't see the production that he wants.
0: I refuse to believe it's any worse than what they have yeah. with Forbert. And I've got natural stat trick up now because they can articulate what I feel like we're all seeing, which is the former mcavoy Corsi 4 percentage is just under 49%. McAvoy without Forbert is almost sixty percent. Forbert without McAvoy is forty nine percent. That tells me all I need to know yep. about who's driving play <laughs> there. Um, and, and then you look at the Grizzly thing, and you know Grizzly and McAvoy are fifty seven percent. And then McAvoy without Grizzly is fifty three, and Grizzly without McAvoy is fifty. So there's it's a lot more mutually beneficial when those two are together. Uh, I could throw the Zaboral thing out there. They only played three forty five together, so. The course four was eighty-three <laughs> percent, but I I would say that's more of an aberration <laughs> than anything. Um small samples. Th- they outchanced ten to two when they were on the ice in those limited times. That's all five on five, too. But I I don't know. It, for a while I feel like it's been sort of the a chicken and the egg thing with Forbert where you say, Well, he played with Dowdy, he played with Pionk, like he's played with good guys before, but he was also playing with, I mean, a Norris caliber drew dowdy he's playing with a norris caliber defenseman and charlie mcavoy like maybe he's just getting picked up with them any you and i would if we were playing yeah. with them. like our course he would probably be pretty good if we were on the ice with mcavoy because he could pick up after all of our mistakes the mindset needs to be now who brings the most out of McAvoy like because right now it feels like the objective is well you can play forbert and he can support McAvoy and then you know when he has missteps McAvoy will just clean it up you shouldn't be having McAvoy cleaning guys mess up it should be who is so tidy in all three zones that McAvoy can just worry about himself he doesn't have to worry about his defensive partner they haven't found that guy yet uh, it, not since Zdeno Chara, but that's obviously a very unique circumstance. So I don't know where you're finding that, but at this point you might as well try and see what you have.
1: I mean, you have to. I mean, I think that, you know, we t- we've we talked about Forbert and Grizzlik and who really elevates McAvoy's game because it's not that Forbert is a bad defender. It's just like, what does he bring? And I don't know if it's not that Drew Doughty is old by any means, but playing with a younger defenseman, sure. if that maybe is affecting him in some way. I don't know. I know it's a new team, it's a new system, but we're 14, 15 games into the season now. I think it's time that the chemistry should be there. He wasn't. He didn't just get picked up like yesterday. So I'm all for just kind of seeing who fits where on this blue line. Now, at first, I was like, no, it's McAvoy and Grizzly. Don't mess that up. But Cassidy is just really pushing and kind of forcing the Forbert McAvoy thing. Where at this point it's obviously not working, tries a borrow up there because what's the worst that can happen? He just gets bumped down again. It's, I mean, it's worth the shot.
0: 110 minutes and 30 seconds Forbert and McAvoy have been together and McAvoy spent 118 minutes away from Forbert. So it's relatively close to an even split, but point being, we've seen enough of the sample size of both of those things right. to show that McAvoy has been better without Derek Forbert and that's not to just bag on him but he's punching above his weight a little bit because in, in a vacuum you would not put Derek Forbert up against the McDavid line right. against the Ajo line like all these teams against the uh the Barkov line like yep. all these matchups that he's gotten he is unfortunately if you're the Bruins probably ill-equipped for um and so he just he needs to be somewhere where the matchups are a little bit better suited towards what he can offer, um, but that kind of leads us to where exactly the Bruins are at because we've seen them get a good win against the Panthers, but they've also lost to the Panthers, they've lost to the Maple Leafs, um, they've lost to the Hurricanes. Like we can run up and down the list, but the common denominator is that they are beating the teams they are supposed to beat. Like. The Red Wings, but they are losing to teams that you would hope to see better performances against, like the Oilers. So, where I mean, 15 games in, right? Where are 13 actually for the Bruins? So, that's not even a quarter of the way. I'm not good at math, no. so I'm not going to try.
1: No, I think, yeah, definitely it's not like a, quarter. a sixth of a way, <laughs>
0: something like that. Um, you know, is this the Bruins team that we can come to expect that? you know they they might steal a few wins against teams that are more talented than them and they'll be in the playoff hunt or is are they worse or is there another level that they can find
1: i certainly don't think they're worse i hope they're not worse by any means and i feel like this is almost the opposite of years past where they would beat stronger teams and then lose to teams like the red wings or the devils at times where it was just that didn't really make sense when the, the bruins were this first place atlantic division team losing to the the three-win Red Wings um so it seems like it's a little bit opposite this year and I think it's just a matter of all the newcomers here you're losing David Krejci you lost to Garask, and that chemistry that had been there for so long is gone now and not that I mean the top line obviously still has their chemistry but I think people are underestimating the loss of Krejci a bit here just his leadership and obviously his playmaking ability um I mean he was getting all the assists in the world, every yep. every single season, no matter who he was with. Um, And, you know, no, nothing against Charlie Coyle there, but it's just not, that's just not who he is. But I think there is another level. I think that there is something there to be unlocked. Um, It's, I'm still not overly concerned because we are so fresh into the season still. Their schedule is very, very weird. They have these big stretches of days off, weeks off at a time. So I think they'll continue to use these longer stretches um, to build chemistry, kind of get back on track, and put together decent win streaks against good teams. Because that game against the Oilers was very winnable until all yeah. of a sudden they just let it get out of hand in the third.
0: Yeah, For 40 minutes, that was a very entertaining yeah. game. Um, and it's funny because Bruce Cassidy, I forget which team. Oh, it was the Red Wings. I was talking about how they were talented, But because they were so young, they weren't quite in a place where they were great at closing out games just yet. And the Bruins aren't entirely similar because they're a much older team, but it's like their talent that they have allows them to hang around for 40 minutes. But unless it's Patrice Bergeron, Charlie McAvoy, Brad Marchand, or David Posternak the likelihood of getting someone to really push them through in the final 20 uh, has not really been there yet. Maybe that will come around. Maybe that's, you know, the Nick Felino effect. Maybe that's what you're expecting to get out of Eric Holla, guys like that. But they're just not there quite yet. Um, and to the point about Coyle, not to sound like Ronald Reagan, but I think that there's sort of a trickle-down thing that's happening here where Coyle has actually been fine in the second-line role. However, he's so much better suited to be playing on the third line to the point that, you know, you're probably better off with a no-sec Howla-Lazar fourth line because you have a more capable second-line center, and then you get to put Charlie Coyle on the third line where he has much softer matchups. I think that's the issue that they're running into more than anything is, like, you know, you're getting about what you want from Charlie Coyle. He has five goals, three assists already this season, but... You know, they they just don't have that bottom six depth. Maybe that's an injuries thing. I don't know, but that's going to kind of come and kill them at a certain point because that's been their hallmark for a while. Is they could roll out four very good, reliable lines, and now the bottom six, not entirely to their fault. Like I, it's too early to say it's a roster building issue, but they're just they're not there yet.
1: No, they're not. And I think too that going into the season, people were excited about the the Bottom six because it was that it, it looked strong and people were confident in coil moving up that second spot with Taylor Hall and Craig Smith. Craig Smith hasn't looked all that good this year, sounds like it's really due to an injury. Yeah, but, something's not right there. Yeah, something's definitely not right there. Nick Felino's on the second line. Um, a lot of roster reconfiguration already, but the bottom six certainly has not panned out the way it looks on paper and the way many thought it would. Because if that third line clicks that's you know three very solid lines right there but you're asking a lot of Coyle in a role that was you know occupied by Krejci for 15 seasons you can't replace that overnight you can't replace that in a season but when he thrives on the third line you wonder if it's worth maybe kind of toying putting him back down there for a little while
0: yeah I mean you probably feel a lot better about your chances right now if your third line consists of I guess DeBrus, Coyle, and Smith but and then you have a better playmaking center with Hall and Felino or something like that. I will say I've been pleasantly surprised with Felino. I, you know, we've only seen a few games out of him now. I think he had played in two before he got hers, the second game of the year, and it's been three games since. And you know, I, I don't think they're expecting Nick Felino to be a world beater, but he could be very good on that second line because of his willingness to get to the net and push around and whatnot. So he's a good energy player and it seems like they'll be able to lean on him for that for a while. Um, yeah. I mean, they're just at a weird spot now where the schedule has been weird. So it's been tough to sort of build or lose momentum in any way because nothing's happening. You play one game and then you're off for a while, or you play it back to back and you're feeling good about yourself. And then you're off for a while. Uh, so, I don't know how big of believers the Bruins are in the momentum effect, but I'm also going to reserve judgment until we start to get into like December because – one way or the other they just haven't been able to roll like they haven't been able to go on a a real gut check losing streak or one of those winning streaks that they always seem to go on around thanksgiving where they look like world beaters and you're like well crap this team's one of the best teams of the atlantic if not the east maybe they get to that point but right now the schedule's just not allowing for that to happen
1: I will say though it was very reassuring beating the Canadians and going on those back to back wins into this bye week we'll call it because sure. i like, I feel that if they the momentum would be so different if they went in if they lost the Canadians this time they know they've won a couple of games now they can continue carry that momentum in the practice and then hopefully carry it into next weekend against the Flyers in Calgary, who's a tough team, yep. but I mean definitely they don't they like you said they haven't had the opportunity to go on these big win streaks. And maybe that's going to come next weekend. Uh, ma- but we can only hope just because they need to get some momentum going. They need to get this chemistry going in, in order to continue or to fight for a top spot in the Atlantic.
0: The Devils are a sneaky good team, too. Like, that was a, that was a pretty convincing win. For the Bruins, and it would have been a massive kick in the pants if they ended up dropping one to the Canadians because the Canadians have been just awful this year. Oh, yeah they were playing Sam Mottombo who had, they had gotten off of waivers. Um, it, you know it just it, that would have been a very tough way to go into five days off um, Anything else to add
1: no i don't I don't think so. I mean there's nothing really that's like jumping out as a mega concern, but also nothing that's just like this team is so great.
0: Yeah, well, it's tough to talk about, too, because it's like, okay, we can talk about how they are playing the Flyers in four days, or they're playing the Flames in five days, and then after that, that's the next time we'll record, which is before Wednesday's, next Wednesday's game, against the Buffalo Sabres, so... After that, their schedule starts to get a little bit more normalcy, where it's more or less games every other day. And I think, again, once we get into mid-December, we'll have a little bit better of a sense of where exactly they're at. Uh, They get to play the Rangers. They have games against the Lightning and the Oilers again coming up. Uh, They're playing Vegas in mid-December, too. So over the course of the next month, there will be a few more of those sort of reality check matchups because I just don't think that there have been enough of those quite yet and so it's a little bit easier to hold on to the the ugly ones like the loss to the Maple Leafs uh, and that road loss to the Panthers but the time will tell it's a month into the season it's literally only 13 games I mean if we if the Bruins were 13-0-0 right now we'd be sitting here being like well let's tap the brakes because who knows if this all comes crashing down so uh, we are nothing if not fair uh, so we'll, uh, we'll call it there. That's Lauren. I'm Logan. This has been the Ness and Bruins podcast. We will see you again next Tuesday. Please. Uh, well, what do you do on iTunes? Do you, you rate, you, review, and subscribe? You rate, <laughs> review, and subscribe. What a great host I am. <laughs> um, until next time. See ya.